the Motherhood Anthology podcast has officially been on the air for a year. I can't even believe it. One whole year and 58 episodes later, I'm so honored that you've listened in and given us your time. We do not take for granted how privileged we are to be able to put this podcast together for you and have so many of you listen. Every listen, every review, every rating, and every share of this podcast has meant the world to us, and there's no way we can truly express our gratitude. Welcome to the Motherhood Anthology Podcast, photography education for a business you love. My name is Kim Box, and I'm your host with the collaboration and help of my co-hosts and business partners at the Motherhood Anthology, Jenny Kruger and Allison Craig. Today's episode will be a bit different. Instead of a brand new episode, we decided to recap a few of our most popular episodes for you. As we were looking through our top episodes, a theme began to emerge, mindset and psychology of business. How cool is that? Of our top episodes, most of them fell into that category. So we've created for you a recap of some of our most popular episodes that fit those themes. Now I present to you episode number 58 of the Motherhood Anthology podcast and a short clip from our first featured episode, Burnout, featuring Kelly White. In this episode, Kelly shares excellent insightfulness on burnout, what leads to burnout, how to avoid burnout, and how to recover from it. It comes down to two main words for me, margin and inspiration. So we can talk about margin first. So I want to take you on this little metaphor thinking about books. I'm talking like a real printed book. And if you're imagining what that looks like, you've got this margin on the top, the bottom, the sides. And so that margin makes it easier to focus on the text, easier to follow along and process the information. You know, the overall impact of the message is clearly communicated. Can you imagine reading a book in which every square inch was covered in letters? It would feel overwhelming. It'd feel cluttered. You wouldn't know how to find where you were. It's harder to understand the main point. This idea of margin in a text, we bring that into our lives, into our work. That's super important for me. So margin for me looks like, oftentimes it's a literal time buffer. Time buffer for me is that I, well, with very, very few exceptions, I do not work outside of school hours. I do not work nights. I do not work weekends. So I've had to adapt and become, you know, an expert at shooting midday. So I applied myself, I learned and studied and, and actually I prefer that now. So I prefer the results I get when I shoot midday over a golden hour at this point, but that was all set up originally because I'm guarding my work time and my lifetime. And I'm giving this literal time buffer or margin in between my workspaces. I love that. that. Also boundaries. I think that you have to evaluate and create boundaries. We use that word a lot. It's going to mean something different for everybody, but I don't want to just have this podcast be like giving this, you know, broad overview words. I want these to be real things that everybody can implement. Last year, I was doing fall sessions a lot. I had all these families who had newborns that I'd, you know, shot newborns, done their newborn sessions, and now they wanted family photos. And so Mm -hmm. I felt like I needed to say yes to everybody because I love my clients. I truly believe I have the best clients in the world. And so I wanted to, to do it and make them all happy. And everybody wanted their session in October. And in Arkansas, first week of October, all the leaves start changing. And 
I'm just going to tell you, I think it's ugly. I don't like shooting in the <laughs> fall. I love bright summery greens and um, clean, you know, colors in the pastel kind of mm-hmm. vibrant, but pastel palette. And, and it- so, yeah, oranges and brown just don't do it for me. So I struggled. I struggled through editing. I spent way too much time editing all these sessions last year. And I said to myself, next year, when everybody says, I'm ready for that fall session, I'm going to say, well, here's my August and September dates. By the you know first week or second week of October, I'm no longer going to shoot outdoor families. And I held to it this year. And I- Good for had, you. Thank you. I had a, a very- <laughs> good and busy September. And now my October is relaxed. I love that. And it gives you time to fill up that cup again. It does. And it means my messaging is clear. You know, I can produce consistency and high quality work that I love without cluttering the output with sessions that I don't. So it's just like that, that margin that makes the text more clear. The message is clear. That's amazing. And those, those sessions like October on that you don't love, mm-hmm. you probably weren't putting your all into, and they were just draining you. So like, why right. do them? Right. And then you start, was it Kim that was saying that, you know, it was the, I suck mentality. It's like when you put <laughs> yeah. something out that you're not into, you're not going to love it. And then you're going to start, it's going to erode your sense of confidence in your own self as an artist. When I think it makes you like start to question yourself too, when you really shouldn't be, it's just that you are mm-hmm. working on and producing something that is really not true to yourself or your brand or your business. And then it, it makes you wonder like, am I, am I fraud? Like, when are they going to figure mm-hmm. me out? Right. And mm-hmm. so, but really that's not it. It's just the fact that if you step outside of like what you are comfortable with creatively, then you're stuck working on something that you don't love. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. If you step outside of your wheelhouse, it should be because you're looking for inspiration and yes. not because you're doing it for somebody else. And that is, that makes all the difference because it's authenticity. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're authentically mm-hmm. looking for ways to experiment and, you know, succeed or fail or learn and try, and it comes from you, then you're going to love what you do, even if it's a failure. You'll learn from it and you'll be fine with it. But when you do it for somebody else, when the locus is outside of yourself and you're trying to please somebody else or feel like you've got to check these things off, it's not authentic and it will be lifeless. Mm -hmm. So what does inspiration look like for you? Inspiration for me looks like model calls. I know that in our industry, people say, do model calls a lot at the beginning of your work and then And then we kind of drop off and don't do it. I do model calls really not so much to pad my portfolio, but as a creative outlet for me, it's a huge thing that I love. I do a model call session about three to four times a year so that I can create without pressure. Mm -hmm. One thing that Kim told us years ago is that she learned that with every session, she should photograph something for herself. And Mm. I've carried that with me because, you know, a lot of times, especially after you've been doing this for so many years, you get in that workflow and, you know, 
even though the images, you could sit, you know, three different families down and give them directions and all the images would look different because they have their own spin on it. But you still have that workflow where you know what you're going to produce from each session, like taking a breath, taking a moment and photographing something for me as an artist has really helped to like keep my cup full because, you know, the same workflow at every single session can really lead to just like the dull in your creativity. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. I'm going to, Kim, I'm going to steal that and I'll do that (laughs) from now on. I love that. You know, I really like the idea, even of the end of the year, taking all of those images from your session and just doing something with them for you, printing them out, putting them in, you know, something and just looking back through. Anybody here know about the Enneagram? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Gosh, I'm embarrassed to admit this. You know, it's like, you're always embarrassed of your own number. I'm an Enneagram three, but I'm always on my guard against wanting people to like me too much. Right. So I put so much pressure on myself to, to be liked or admired or, or whatever. And so model calls for me, allow me to let go of that. Like I'm not here to give someone else a product that, that they want. And I don't fall into that trap of trying to please that person or Mm -hmm. change myself to adapt to what somebody else wants from that session. So it's fully mine. So it's kind of like what you said, that little one photograph per session for yourself. It's kind of that on a larger scale for me. It's a whole session just for me where I can work without any kind of pressure that I can, you know, try something totally new and be free to fail, or I can give wild direction and someone just kind of like has to follow what I say. I have complete creative control. And so it's just for me. And these are actually my favorite and most well-liked sessions of the year. You know, these are the sessions that get picked up by publications and that people are loving on my Instagram feeds. And so that also builds in, maybe this is the next kind of segues into the next part about inspiration, builds in confidence into myself where I can be the boss. So I can trust myself to be the professional, to be the expert, um, to lead my clients and to give them this beautiful storytelling product. So when I don't feel like I have to play it safe because I'm fully behind myself as an artist, and I know that's, you know, still a bit of a work in progress, all that ebbs and flows, I think for all of us creators, but, um, when I can do that, then I can show up and take charge and be behind every inspired creative choice that I make. Next up in this fun recap episode is one of our favorites, Running Your Business Like a CEO, featuring Ashley Freehan. Ashley, owner of The Purpose Gathering, podcaster, brand photographer, and business coach for Motherhood Photographers, shared with us how she learned to run her own business as a CEO and how you can too. You guys really enjoyed this one. So here's a few clips from her super popular episode. It took me probably about eight solid years to really understand that I was a business owner. Like I always said to everybody like, oh yeah, I'm a professional photographer, but I really didn't know what it looked like to be 
a CEO, which essentially I want to just like put that out there right now. What the CEO means is it's not like a big stuffy corporate word. Like we're used to hearing CEO just means that you own the role as the leader in your business and you are future focused. And so I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard this idea of employee mindset versus, you know, a CEO mindset. And maybe they haven't. So maybe this is brand new, but essentially an employee mindset just means that you are used to following someone else's lead for you, right? Like if you've ever worked for someone else, which I'm sure all of your listeners have in the past worked for someone else, they tell you what to do, right? They give you the to-do list and you just check it off. But when you're an employee, you're not really thinking about the future of the business because it's not your business, right? right? Until it is, until you step into this role as a photographer, and then you don't realize, because I didn't realize this, that when you step into the role as a photographer, you also must adopt the leader role because now no one's telling you what to do. And so I think that's really this big aha moment that I had was, I'm in charge of my business. Like I'm in charge of where it goes. I'm in charge of it succeeds or not. I'm in charge of how much profit I make. And so I think that was really a big eye-opening moment for me when I learned all the different facets of what it means to be that CEO. So the key number one to really running a successful photography business like a CEO is to own that role. So the very first starting point is to own that you're the CEO. Now, if you don't want to call it the CEO, that's fine. I get it. That word kind of, you know, has a negative connotation sometimes. So just call it the leader, right? Own that role as leader of your business. So we kind of touched on that employee mindset and the fact that like employees are really good at task you know, completion. Let's check off the to-do list. But when you are the CEO, I want you to adopt this CEO mindset. I want you to work on your business, not just in it. So when you're in the employee mindset, you're kind of in the weeds of things, right? You're focusing on getting clients. You're focusing on executing the client work, right? Editing your photos, getting those galleries submitted. And you are not really necessarily always thinking about like profitability of your business or the efficiency of your workflows. And so really stepping into that CEO mindset is looking at the bigger picture of your business, being able to step back and look at those numbers, which I know a lot of creatives, we don't like numbers, right? We shy away from that because we are creative people. We are not the logical, you know, left brain people. And so that can be really hard. But when you are the leader of your business, it's really important that you're evaluating where your business is, where you want it to go, and how you're actually going to get there. So that's the first step. It can feel overwhelming because you're like, oh my gosh, like another thing that I have to do. Like now I have to, it's not really another thing that you have to do. It's really just shifting your focus and making sure that you are using your time wisely because that's really important. And that is another component really of, of being that CEO is learning how to manage your time well. So that would be step two is really like learning how to look at the tasks that are on your plate and decide which which ones are the most important? Which ones are the ones that are actually going to move the needle, drive the needle forward in your business? And what are those ones that are just keeping you stuck, right? And one thing that I actually love so much, and when I say it, you're probably going to roll your eyes. Maybe not you, Kim, but maybe your listeners are going to roll their eyes. 
But the the way to really manage your time well is to first understand how you're spending your time. And so the best way that I recommend doing that is to time track. Keep keep track of what you are spending your time on. And I personally only do this with my business related tasks, but this could be important too if you're wondering like where all your extra time is going, right? When you're not working. Like, okay, so I only have, you know, 15 hours carved out every every week to work and like what am i doing with the rest of my hours so if you're one of those multitaskers who always has like 50 tabs open i'm going to tell you right now to stop doing that right <laughs> the multitasking feels like a badge of honor but really they've done so much research that says that if you are working on multiple things at one time they're all getting very minimal amount of your attention and so it's going to take you longer to complete it and the work that you do is not going to be up to par. You talk about time management all day, but we'll move I know, on. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think the next step that you say is streamlining your processes. Absolutely. So that's the next kind of key, which I would say in running a photography business like a CEO. And it kind of parallels really nicely to time management because if you do not have processes for the things that you do on repeat in your business, it's going to kill your productivity. It's actually going to take up way more of your time than it needs to. And under the pillar of streamlining also comes automation, which is another big like buzzword, right? In the in the entrepreneur space is really finding ways to do things in a simpler way, but also in a way that you don't necessarily have to be available for. So automating those steps can be really helpful. Even something as simple as, you know, you get an in, a photography inquiry and then you have an automated response that says, you know, thank you so much for your inquiry. Here's where you can find out more information while you're waiting for my response. Just something as simple as that can really help streamline the fact that, you know, you get that message in the middle of whatever you're doing, maybe you're playing with your kids or you're working on a project and you get that message that says you got an inquiry and all of the sudden you feel like you need to drop everything that you're doing and respond. So they at least know that you're, you know, thinking of them. And this automation can just help give you a few minutes to gather your thoughts and be like, it's okay. I can reply in an hour when I have some time because my automated response went out and they know that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm coming to, to respond. So things like that. I mean, and then we can get even more deeper if you want to into like some more of those processes, but essentially it's just very important that each part of your business, each step that you have to do on repeat, even like onboarding a new client, you know, sending like your client workflow of like automating emails when you need certain things like I used to do weddings. So I actually started as a wedding photographer and then transitioned just recently into brand photography, maybe the past couple of years. And so I had a pretty elaborate workflow for weddings because I wanted people to, when they booked me, also have you know, some touch points where I was sharing with them like hair and makeup artists or florists or, you know, the things that maybe they hadn't even gotten to yet. Um, and just, you know, delighting them along the way being like, Hey, I know I'm just your photographer, but I'm also here to help make wedding planning easy for you. Here are some tips. Here's some blog posts about, you know, why you might choose to do a first look, right. Or some traditions that you might choose to, um, you know, overlook or not do in your, in your wedding. So things like that. So I think that's really important too. 
this is not an episode about client workflow by any means, but that's kind of what I'm talking about when I'm talking about streamlining your processes, is just making sure that when you think about your business, you think, oh, it's organized. It's taken care of. Like I have a methodology with, with what's going on and what the next step is. So you're not always feeling frantic of like, oh shoot, they're asking me about when they have to do this. Like we should always be one step ahead of our clients and not fielding questions like that. I think that that's really important when you have that more CEO mindset of your business versus just, you know, checking off the boxes and kind of playing catch up, if that makes sense. And then the fourth pillar that you mentioned is to focus on increasing profitability. Yes. So there are so many things I feel like that are like vying for our attention, right? When you're an entrepreneur, there's just so many things that you can focus on and it can be really overwhelming. And I think a lot of us, I don't know, maybe I'm just speaking for myself, but a lot of people that I know, especially like when you feel really overwhelmed with things, you just maybe don't do anything. Right. Right. But one of the things that I think is so important in not missing is the aspect of profitability. And I know you mentioned that you guys do this in your, in your membership about cost of doing business, but one exercise that I always have all of my students do is to really go through and figure out what has been your previous profitability, right? So like actually going in and figuring out how much do you charge per session? And then how much, how many hours does it take you to actually fulfill that client? Right. And, and how much time does it take to acquire that client? Cause I think that's a lot, like a lot of people miss that part where they're spending a lot of time on social media. They're spending a lot of time, you know, with their blog posts and like that would be called marketing, right? Visibility. We're spending a lot of time there, but they're not really understanding that it's taking them so much time to get clients in that they're actually losing money because their, their sessions are not priced profitably. So that's something that I think is really key too. And then we can also go on into talking about increasing profitability, which is like, what does that look like to start doing in-person sales? right? Because that can increase your profitability without you having to work a lot more, right? So how can you really be more profitable with each of your clients versus just acquiring more clients? Because I think we could all agree that we want to work less and make more. Now let's go back to one of our first episodes and a steady favorite by our listeners, The Psychology of Entrepreneurship and Business, featuring Kristen Sweeting. In this episode, Kristen, photography business owner, business coach, podcaster, and lecturer at Belmont University, chatted all about business pricing success and the psychology behind it all. I'm kind of nerdy, and so I think about it a lot. Like I would drive around and look at the cars on the street and think about what people are spending on their houses and what people spend on a bag or on this thing or that thing. And and how often I hear photographers say, no one can afford what I want to charge. And I'm like, you haven't driven around and looked at all the Land Rovers around you. Like as soon as you start paying attention to what people are spending money on, you realize the issue isn't that people don't have money. It's that we haven't communicated how valuable the thing that we're offering is. We haven't built a brand that is so valuable that people don't think twice about spending, you know, a luxury price on what we're offering. So it's, I think it's an easy 
mindset thing to go to of, oh, no one has the money for what I want to offer, what I want to do. It's just like, it simply isn't true. There's people in all kinds of income brackets, spending all kinds of things on all kinds of, you know, things that are aligned with their values. And it's showing people why what you're doing is valuable to them too. And, and reaching the people that value the same things you value. And so for a lot of people, it's like a marketing issue. It's a position in the market issue. And it's not that there aren't people out there willing to spend it. So with pricing psychology, I had a friend who we used to talk about this all the time. There's kind of these different levels in our brain and our brain tends to go towards certain numbers. And it's why, you know, people use 0.99 when they're, you know, you're shopping at Walmart and you see like 9.99 or whatever. It's like our brains try to trick us because we're always trying to convince ourselves that what we want is worth it, you know? So we, we cling on to these numbers that, that help us out. But when you're pricing more of a luxury service, which photography, no matter how you look at it is a luxury service. We're not upselling potatoes here. Like these are, this is art and art is a luxury service, no matter whether you put that name on your brand or not. And so when we're coming up with pricing, our brains tend to round up to these certain numbers. So an example is like 500 is a pricing level and a thousand and 2,500 and 3,500 and 5,000. And then it starts jumping up higher. So it goes 5,000 to 10,000, 10,000, 20,000, 20,000 to 50,000 and 50,000 to a hundred thousand. So when we are like splitting hairs over whether I should charge 1200 or 1300 for a photo shoot, that $100 doesn't matter as long as it makes sense within these kind of pricing bracket plateaus, because our brain is constantly rounding to one of these numbers. So as an example, with wedding photography, um, for a long time, when I was priced kind of around, like, let's just look at the number 5,000. So say something you're doing costs $5,000. You could price that at 4,900. You could price it at 5,000. You could price it at 5,250. They're all kind of the same number to someone's brain because you're rounding it to that 5,000 number. So 4,900 rounds to 5,000. And it's kind of like when you put 4,900, it's a little bit of, I'm just like a little bit cheaper than your budget, right? And so that's like, you're speaking to the person that is like, ooh, you know, save a little bit here, save a little bit there, who values that. But also 5,000 and 5,250, if someone's like, I really want this photographer, but they're 5,200, our budget was 5,000. It's not so much that someone's not gonna spend 250 more. When you're pricing it, you're like, you could choose 4,900 or you could choose 5,250. The same person's gonna book you. So why are we not kind of like reaching for the bigger number? And then when you start moving out of that pricing bracket, so I remember being priced at like 6,500 for a while and no one was booking me. And I think it's because you're kind of in this no man's land between where your brain wants to go because the next, the next level from 5,000 is 10,000. And so when I'm working with a client who's trying to raise their pricing, I try to get them up closer to where the brain's going to round up to 10,000 then like staying in this wishy-washy middle space where your brain doesn't really know what to do with it. Like 6,000 is too much for someone that has a $5,000 budget, but not enough for someone that has a $10,000 budget. Um, so yeah, I think pricing psychology is really interesting 
And so when I've made pricing jumps, I'm just making one right now. I'm doubling my pricing in like almost everything that I offer. It's because the market can support it. The quality of what I'm providing is there. I've been, you know, undercharging really. And because if I try to just creep up my pricing, it's not going to be as effective as if I double it. Last but most definitely not least for our final recap episode is Living and Working Intentionally, featuring Alex Smith of Love Daphne May. Alex graciously shared with us tips and advice for achieving a work-life balance that's both fulfilling and fruitful. I really think that romanticizing our own life is something that is a really beautiful practice and because it's just a practice and seeing, you know, the beautiful blessings that we we do have before us. And I'm a big believer in we will find what we're looking for. So on the days where I'm feeling a little bit more grumbly, I will find things to be grumbly about. But if I can kind of get myself in a place of, okay, let's, you know, let's look for the gratitude and those, those abundant blessings, then I will find those. So I think it's just more about what am I seeking in my day-to-day life? And, you know, how can I use those hard parts for, you know, this, this bigger picture and this greater beauty? I really think it is countercultural to kind of step off of that path that so many are kind of pushed on to hurry and be busy and to glorify things that, you know, when we look back on our life 10 years from now or 20 years from now, all of these decisions that we're making, even if they're small decisions to take on that extra shoot or to, you know, do a little bit more work here and here and here, all of those things are, there are life and there are children's childhood that we're going to look back on, that they're going to look back on and how, you know, they felt growing up. And so I just, everything that I do, every decision that I make, I ask myself, what is how is this playing into my my bigger picture of looking back 20 years from now and not feeling like I gave up any of these precious years with my children or these precious precious days or precious moments even? And how can I just be thankful for my blessings, glorify God in what I'm doing, and just live really intentionally, um, both as a mother and within my business? Um, and that's hard. It really is. I don't want to act like that's just a really easy thing to do because we are constantly kind of pulled in so many different directions. Our hearts and our minds are so many things are fighting for the attention of our hearts and our minds. And we have to be really, really intentional about where we're we're putting that attention. And so for me, it was just how am I serving my family and being with my children because I I want to make sure that what I'm doing right now and and tomorrow and the next day is all contributing to that legacy that I want to look back on 20, 30, 40 years from now and see. And so I find that when I'm constantly coming back to that purpose and that why and that bigger picture, it really puts things into perspective for me and allows me to shed any sort of comparison that might pop up for, well, we're supposed to do it this way. We're supposed to be, you know, buying that new car and buying that bigger house and, you know, doing these things. And 
meanwhile, I'm just selling my new car and buying my old, you know, my old 08 Yukon and, you know, all the things that I'm just like, but that means no car payment. So that means I am not having to work as much because I don't have that bill, you know, and that sort of thing. So I think it's just once we get into that mindset and that perspective, those decisions do come more naturally, I think. And that kind of comparison of what we're supposed to do falls away more easily. You know, at the end of the day, I I know that this life is short. Um, this life is a gift. And at the end of the day, I will meet my maker and I will look at him in the face and I want him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that is honestly something that I come back to in everything that I do. That's a wrap, folks. We're marking this episode as the end of season one of the Motherhood Anthology podcast. Again, thank you so much from all of us at TMA, Jenny, Allison, and myself for sticking around and listening in. We hope that our past year of podcasting has brought you lots of inspiration, knowledge, and motivation to be the very best motherhood photography business owner that you can be. We aren't going anywhere though, so we'll be right back here same time next week for a brand new episode and kicking off season two of the Motherhood Anthology podcast. So while you're here, make sure you subscribe, leave us a rating and a review, please. Your feedback is so helpful. We want to make this podcast the best resource it can possibly be. Now, as I have all year long, I'm going to leave you with this quote I love. The one I'm sharing with you today is one of our top shared podcast quotes from the year over and over on our Instagram and by none other than our TMA founder and partner, Jenny Kruger. She says, if you're good enough to be in business, you're good enough to be a profitable business. So from Ireland to yours, until next time, friends.